On today's episode of the Nerd by Word podcast, Dave and Chris wrap up their Disney Investors Day talk by talking everything Lucasfilm. Bienvenidos a un nuevo episodio del Nerd by Word. Ay, lo siento. Sorry, guys, I must have accidentally hit the SAP button on Rhyme Remote. Welcome into another brand new episode of the Nerd by Word, the only podcast that can take you from the Shire to the Delta Quadrant in a matter of minutes. I'm Chris, he's Dave, and we're here to wrap up our discussion on the Disney Investor Day presentations with the Lucasfilm side of things. But before we make the jump to hyperspace, let's check in with Dave at the Nerd News Desk. Well, I got some some really strange news. So um, most nerds are familiar uh, with the director Richard Donner. Dude is legendary, particularly for directing Superman the movie, uh, The Goonies, and The Omen, if you're into uh, scary movies. Well, as it turns out, Richard Donner, at the ripe old age of 90, is not done directing movies yet. He's also uh, been the director for the Lethal Weapon series, in a recent interview with The Telegraph, Donner announced that he is set to, to direct Lethal Weapon 5. This is the final one, he uh, said. It's both my privilege and my duty to put it to bed. It's exciting, actually. Now, Lethal Weapon, of course, is a buddy cop movie franchise starring Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. It started back in the 1980s. The last entry in the series was released in 1998. Now, progress is apparently happening on the script and gearing up production, although there are some serious hurdles for this particular production. For one, there's just a matter of the age of everybody involved. Um, as strange as this sounds, Donner, at 90, uh, is by far the oldest, but but everybody else involved is also really old. Uh, Mel Gibson, at this point, is 64 years old, and Danny Glover is 74. So bringing those two actors together to star in an action movie franchise as two, I, I hope at this point, retired cops directed by somebody who, by the time production starts, will probably be 91 years old, is pretty incredible. Now, Donner did say this would be his final movie. At this point, he'll officially retire from directing. But let's be honest, that is absolutely incredible. Uh, what a legend and uh, what a storied career this man has had. Chris, what do you think? So this is wild. I remember when Lethal Weapon 4 came out and, you know, I had to Google it and it came out in 98, like you said. Um, so in addition to like the hurdles of, of everybody's age, I mean, like what's the, what's the catchphrase of, of Danny Glover's character from like the first movie is I'm getting too old for this. So it's kind of like very, very ironic that, that all these years later, you know, we're still looking at continuing this franchise on, um, another one of the obvious hurdles that was mentioned in the article is, is the issues with Mel Gibson's character, um, he's recent, you know, in recent years gone on tangents that were deemed misogynistic, uh, anti-Semitic and, and racist as well. Um, he has attributed those things to his alcoholism, but still, I mean, every time that I see him attached to, to a project, you know, there's a, 
there's a level of uncomfortability uh, with it. So um, I, I'm definitely intrigued to see what what develops with this. Um, but it, it really threw me for a loop when I saw this. Yeah, and I totally, you know, echo the the problems, you know, surrounding Mel Gibson at this point, obviously. Um, to me, ultimately, though, it it's absolutely a, a movie worth seeing if it does in fact happen, just because A, Donner has been a world-class director uh, for his, his entire career, and B, just the novelty of knowing that there is a, a 90-year-old man behind the camera making this action movie franchise happen. I just want to see how this thing turns out. Yeah, it's just really incredible that that even at that age, it, ne- it never stops. You know, I, I'm I'm thinking of of Norman Lear, who created so many iconic television shows like All in the Family, and my personal favorite, The Jeffersons and Sanford and Son. Um, you know, all all those shows, and and he's still, um, you know, working to this day. If memory serves, I, I I think he's still with us. But I, I remember listening to an interview with him, and he was up in his 90s as well, and. And still just cranking it out. And, and it's just incredible that that and, and it, I think it really just is a testament to the true visionaries um, in, in no matter what industry that they work in is, is they don't have an off switch. It, it never stops. Absolutely. So, I mean, the guy gave us Superman the movie for that alone. You know, he needs to be commended. So I'm really looking forward to this one. Chris, what is going on? on your side of the nerd news desk and please tell me that you're not going to set my blood boiling with another Zack Snyder story. Well, I feel like it's a role reversal here that I'm reporting on, on DC again, but um, so DC films is headed to the multiverse and there are no future plans that involve Zack Snyder with DC films. So uh, Walter Hamada, who is the kind of new since 2018 president of DC film spoke in an extensive interview with the New York times is, it's a really good article. I definitely recommend you check it out. Um, a lot of things came to light, but, but I'm, I'm going through the highlights here. So, so the DC film plan going forward beginning in 2022 is for mo- their most expensive films, ideally four per year to release theatrically Two, as the article noted riskier film projects like Batgirl or Static Shock to be released on HBO Max, which interesting note here, the article by Brooks Barnes referred to it. And I quote as it's fledgling streaming service. Um, DC films is also going to work on developing offshoots, which are television series on HBO Max that will directly interconnect with those films. Um, interesting stats that were included in the article in the last decade dc films have made eight billion dollars compared to marvel's 20.6 billion so once again they're trying to keep up with the joneses and and rapidly you know play catch up here um hbo max has 12.6 million subscriber activations now that is still not widely available outside the u.s so those numbers are, are are incredibly limited um in addition to the hefty fourteen ninety nine uh, price tag, uh, Netflix, in, by comparison, has one hundred ninety five million, and Disney Plus has eighty seven million. Um, however, um, it was confirmed that the DC film universe will be utilizing the multiverse, including multiple Batman, um, as as has been previously discussed on this show in the Flash, but also. Um, you know, Robert Pattinson's Batman film going forward as well. So they are specifically going to be making a focus on the multiverse. So, so many things that come to light with that. But one nugget that um, 
uh, I'm, I'm going to be biased here, that, that made me gleeful was that, um, at least for now, Zack Snyder is not part of the new DC Films blueprint. Um, this is important to point out that Walter Hamada, the president of DC Films, came on in 2018 after many of those Zack Snyder projects you know, came to light. Um, so he's not part of their blueprint and the plan going forward with studio executives describing his HBO Max project as, quote, a storytelling cul-de-sac, a street that leads nowhere. Dave, you're our DC guy. Your thoughts? Yeah, I have a lot of complex feelings about this one. On the one hand, you know, uh, not having any more Zack Snyder projects for the foreseeable future that are DC based is, I think, uh, ultimately a, a good thing. Uh, the man is a talented director, and although he catches a lot of flack from me on this show for his work on the DC movies he has directed, I will go on the record as saying that I, uh, I enjoy a great deal of his work. In fact, uh, his first uh, his feature film debut as a director, uh, the remake of Dawn of the Dead, I enjoyed a great deal. And I still think um, the uh, Legend of the Guardians animated feature that he directed is probably his finest movie. Um, I'm a big fan of that one as well. However, I don't think he's a good fit tonally uh, for most uh, DC properties. Uh, he has a very distinctive style uh, from how he you know, records uh, color palettes and, and muted tones, uh, the, the amount of... Um, slow-mo shots he does and his action is very distinct and I don't think necessarily what you know the kind of work that he does lends itself naturally to uh, comic book movies now I will say uh, that I'm also hyped for the idea of using a multiverse structure for these movies Uh, simply put it frees um, DC from the idea of having to play the game that the MCU does, that everything has to be interconnected, that, you know, these uh, heroes have to pop up in each other's movies, that everything has to lead to some big Avenger-style blowout. I think trying to imitate that and imitating it too quickly uh, was to the great detriment of the DC Extended Universe. Um, They didn't take their time really building up some of these uh, individual franchises and creating something that would build hype towards a movie like Justice League. So this seems like a smart move. It allows for stuff like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker, which obviously is never going to meet uh, Robert Pattinson's Batman because they, they just take place in different time periods. So unless you want a geriatric Joker trying to fight you know, a young Batman, uh, this is just not going to happen. But that's okay, because I think those movies are are different beasts altogether. Um, so the multiverse idea is great. I really like that. However, my fear is, and, and they're already hinting at this, is that they're not going to use the, this multiversal structure to, to free artists to really pursue a particularly arti- particular artistic vision uh, and, and bring in some lesser known uh, properties you know one of the things that marvel has done really well with is bringing in stuff like guardians of the galaxy which you know a lot of people thought as a movie was going to fail um because it was such an unknown 
property. Uh, there are so many things that DC has that that need to be on the big screen in some way. You know, Animal Man, uh, Grant Morrison has a fantastic run on that. Uh, Legion of Superheroes, a big space-based superhero movie, you know, with a sprawling cast would be fascinating. Uh, a Martian Manhunter feature film, Young Justice, but based on Peter David's run with a with a more humorous approach. The Outsiders, Manhunter, um, Nightwing, even you know, there's so many interesting properties that they could be pursuing. But what they're doing instead is Batman. No, no, we 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 don't just need one Batman. We need to put a system in place by which we can have multiple Batman. Let's go ahead and throw a whole bunch of Batman into the Flash movie. And in addition, we'll have Robert Pattinson's Batman and then apparently an additional parallel running Batman franchise in addition to the Robert Pattinson Batman. To which I say, you know what? No thanks. Uh, Too much Batman. I'm about batman out at this point. I want to see some new properties being developed by DC. And one of the big problems with the DC movie side of things is that they simply continuously rely on the old standby that made the money uh, and that's batman and batman has to be in everything and that's not a good approach in 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 trying to you know diversify your uh movie output and and maybe building some new franchises that ultimately will help you know rake in some money you know the guardians of the galaxy movies are not you know creating a chump cha- uh, change box office receipts here they they do extremely well why can't dc pursue something like that so you know on the one hand less snyder for the time being good multiverse good too much batman let's back off on that and try some new stuff how about that yeah i'm dying for a martian manhunter film like i i I would do anything to see that uh i mean like or even you know it's funny because as a casual dc consumer like i can tell i can look at those things of Zack snyder i can look at those outputs and i know that's just wrong that that's not it and 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 to what you said that's not those characters like even with my limited exposure to those characters i can size that up and say that's that's not batman that's not superman that's sure as hell not superman um you know it's just odd that's not that's not lois lane i mean amy adams god love her she's very talented in so many other things she's great but the extent to her lois lane was just looking a big doughy eyed into the camera and just swooning at Clark Superman. Every time he came on the screen, like there was no agency for her. There was, I mean, they put her in the desert, like she was some dangerous reporter, but then that never followed up to anything. It's just, so I'm really of two minds here as well. I'm, I'm glad that there's a new person in charge in Walter Hamada that is is looking at this and say look this doesn't work the way we've been doing things isn't working we're going to try something new but i'm also in in by by not doing um like a connected universe it still seems like they're going to try at the same end result and it feels like we're headed towards like an infinite crisis or a crisis on infinite earth type of thing where all these batmans are just going to mash up together and and why in the world are we getting multiple batmen but not multiple other characters like it's it's the iron man syndrome that we talked about on on the last podcast um, and it's the Wolverine problem that the Fox X-Men franchise had. Like, for God's sake, there are other characters. And if you tell a good story, people will watch your movie. 
Dave, like th- what the first movie that you and I saw together in the theaters was Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm I'm like a huge Marvel fanboy. Like I, I geek out about those characters. Like I do in-depth, dis- you know, like binge reads. And I didn't know anything about any of those characters. Like I had to do like a Wikipedia search, like going as as we were headed to the theater. And I still just remember looking over at you like every five minutes to just be like, dude, is all we could say to each other. And then, you know, like weeks and months after that movie, every time we would see each other at work in the hall, we would be like, dance off, you and me, bro. Like when you just have a clear vision with a, with, with, and tell good stories, the fruits will come. You don't have to, and 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 we also talk. Uh, I've also talked about this a lot, like nostalgia and like just going, always going backwards, always going backwards. And we're going to visit that today, unfortunately, with Star Wars, but, but always going forward and trying new things. I love Michael Keaton's Batman, but that was from thirty plus years ago. Why are we treading backward? And the things that worked in the past. Why aren't we trying new things? For Pete's sake, we got an Aquaman movie that was just glorious and wonderful and fun. We got a Shazam movie that was fun. And and, and so why aren't we pushing towards that instead of just more of the same old stuff? Yeah, I'm with you. And I will say, even like the, the Michael Keaton Batman thing, that should not be happening the way it is. You want Michael Keaton back as Bruce Wayne? Wonderful. Give me a Batman Beyond movie. Now, here's a prop. Yeah, here's a property yeah. that that'll definitely catch on. Uh, it has a good history as as a uh, animated series and then a comic book. Uh, and and there you can have a little bit of a touch of nostalgia and still at the same time push forward with something new. Instead, we're going to probably have you know Michael Keaton in some kind of Batman suit uh, with Ben Affleck hanging out next door to him or something. Uh, interacting with the flash and it's just like why can't i just have a flash movie i I don't understand why we can't you know just tell a good story with those characters and i'm going to say something about martian manhunter i have such a pitch for a martian manhunter movie my absolute two favorite things to come out of the 40s and 50s are noir detective stories and these old cheesy flying saucer you know martian movies i already see where you're going with this shut up and take my money yeah, let's go ahead and mash those two together. You know, I mean, one of the things about the Martian Manhunter is he's a shapeshifter, and oftentimes he takes on identities of like policemen or or um, or detectives, you know, to do some investigating and stuff. So why not have a mashup of these two genres and have you know the Martian Manhunter? He's he's stranded on on Earth. And he is trying to solve some kind of noir style crime while at the same time, you know, being pursued by like government agents that are trying to find out what crash landed on Earth or something. It's it's just a great mashup project. Heck, you could, you know, you want to have a, a superhero movie in black and white. Now, this one you could actually do in black and white to go along with the vibe that you're going for. And you would really create something that has not been on the big screen before a a noir superhero movie with the sci-fi 50s you know overtones like i would be totally there for something like that but it seems like right now uh, at dc films the, the vision to try something different and new um is, is simply not there and that's super regrettable well, yeah, and, th- and that's what the the one big positive that I came away from in our last episode, and and the the Marvel side of you know uh, their reveals is is that they're really leaning into those subgenres, and and you think about like the best MCU films, like 
they really stood out. I mean, Ant Ant Man, the Ant Man films have no business being that good. Like, but with a cast like that, and then you know, just making it a heist movie, and and it's just fun, and you just have fun with it. Like Shazam had no business being that good. Uh, but you have a, a an individual like Zachary Levi who's just like you can't help but l- love that guy. He's just so awesome, and he looks like a a little kid that got superpowers, but in adult form. So, I mean, like when you just embrace something and have a clear vision and, and then on the other part about Michael Keaton, how amazing was he as the vulture? Like it, it is, it's one of the best MCU villains that we've had. Totally. And and just think about how amazing he would be as like, you know, I haven't watched a whole lot of Batman beyond, but I know enough. Just think about how great he would be as like a grumpy old Bruce Wayne, a la like Clint Eastwood in Gran Torino or something like that. That would just be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree, man. There's, there's so much potential on the DC, you know, side of, you know, movies and television shows, but what we're seeing so far, I don't know, man, I hope that they get their act together. I really do. It's it's really a shame because, you know, they're billed as the world's greatest heroes and they're easily, even as a Marvel fan, I will freely admit this. They're the easily most identifiable. You think to put like casual consumers who don't really know a whole lot about comic books, who are who aren't really the nerds that we are. But if you say Batman and Superman, people know who that is. They know who Wonder Woman is more so than they would. You know, like the the Marvel heroes, especially before the, you know, integration of the MCU, it's certainly much more recognizable. So it, it really is disheartening to to see this. It is it is an absolute crying shame that at this point we simply cannot get a good Superman movie. It's just it, it, it boggles my mind that we cannot get a good Superman movie. He is not that difficult to figure out. And there are so many comic book writers who have him figured out. I just want a good Superman movie. That, that that should be like point zero. That's where you should be starting out from. Give me a good Superman movie. Well, well, here's the thing. Who's his Marvel counterpart? Like who who's most similar to him in the Marvel universe? I'd say Captain America. As far Captain as- America, and we got and and we got some badass Captain America movies. Like as as cheesy and as corny as it was. Captain America, the first Avenger is one of my favorite MCU films, one of my favorite superhero films, because it has that heart. It has that hope. It has the do the right thing ethos that Superman would have. You can easily do that. It's just a shame. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. That wraps up our nerd news segment. Nerd rant over for the time being. Uh, When we come back from our first break, we are hopping aboard the Millennium Falcon. Hopefully the hyperdrive will work this time. And then we are going to the Lucasfilm reveals of Disney Investors Day. Stick around. Welcome back, nerds. For our byword big talk today, we are wrapping up the Disney Investors Day reveals. We talked about the MCU last episode. Today, we're talking all about Lucasfilm. So we're going to go announcement by announcement, line by line, itemized list like we did last time. I'm going to kick it to Dave. He's going to give the reaction. Away we go. First up on our list, Dave, we hinted at this one a couple episodes ago. Uh, Really, really interesting concept and a really great director at the helm. One of the most emotional videos that I saw out of Investor's Day is the reveal. Patty Jenkins of Wonder Woman 
fame is going to be directing Star Wars Rogue Squadron coming Christmas 2023. Yeah, Rogue Squadron. Now, here's a, a name with a lot of history and, for me at least, a, a lot of emotional attachment. Uh, obviously, Rogue Squadron pa- uh, played a big role in uh, Marvel's Star Wars comics. Um, but to me, the connection to the franchise that I probably have the most uh, came from the expanded universe, particularly Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston's uh, novels. And there were, I believe, uh, nine or ten overall uh, X-Wing uh, books. And the first one, of course, of the series was Star Wars X-Wing Rogue Squadron. So I have a, a very special place in my heart for you know Rogue Squadron. Now, this particular movie, directed by Patty Jenkins, is reportedly going to be completely original, so it's not going to be based on anything from the Expanded Universe. It most likely will not bring over any of those characters, um, which I think uh, is is sad. I think there's a possibility that if not adapting any of that stuff, that at the very least there is a possibility to maybe bring an interesting character or two over, which would, I think... uh, bring about a lot of goodwill from expanded universe fans who miss some of the characters that were, you know, wiped out by Disney's order 66. But I think my biggest concern about this movie right now is simply that it needs a good writer. Uh, Jenkins is a super talented director. Uh, I absolutely have uh, loved her work on wonder woman. I just, you know, finished uh, wonder woman 1984 yesterday. Um, and my feelings about that movie uh, from a writing perspective, are pretty complex. There are some interesting things happening in the story part, but whatever weaknesses I may have detected in the story uh, had nothing to do with Patty Jenkins' direction. Uh, the movie is visually absolutely gorgeous and, and expertly shot. So uh, Patty Jenkins, as the director, is a great, great idea. She seems to have a passion for the idea of making a Rogue Squadron movie, something, you know, that's inspired by like, you know, a fighter plane kind of movies. I, I can totally see her do an excellent job with this. But what we need for sure is somebody who can deliver an interesting story. And I'm unsure even like timeline-wise where this would take place. One of the things that I absolutely loved about you know the first four X-Wing books in the Expanded Universe uh, written by Michael Stackpole were that they had a very clear overarching mission, and that was uh, the conquest of Coruscant. Uh, so the New Republic could become, you know, a legitimate government by holding the planet uh, where the the Galactic Senate is supposed to meet. So uh, that was a, a fantastic sort of overarching mission for Rogue Squadron. So I'm not sure where in the timeline this is supposed to take place, if this is going to be like in the timeline around the time of the Mandalorian, sort of post-Return of the Jedi, or if this is going to be, you know, around the time of the sequel trilogy. I think a, a lot of my interest in the original story they come up with is going to be dependent on when they said it and what their overarching goal is in the movie. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and, and I think... Um, you know, as someone that is not very experienced, basically nothing at all with the expanded universe, I always think about um, John Jackson Miller's answer, you know, when it came to to that 
era of Star Wars and and that it could be true. It could not be true. And some of it could be true. So I'm really, really interested, you know, with with a title like Rogue Squadron being, you know, um, as popular as it is, I find it very, very hard to believe that they wouldn't find a way to bridge that together to to, you know, in, in some of the similar ways that they did with The Mandalorian to bring in old and new fans alike. So um, that's just my gut reaction to it. Um, I don't really have any extended experience with the, with the title. So I'm just interested to see probably uh, I, I probably fall in line with you is where and when is this going to take place? Um, you know, on our last episode, we talked about the Marvelification of star Wars and how they want to make it like a connected universe type thing um, and, and where things will kind of line up. So that, you know, just makes me kind of lean towards Mandalorian era timeline but i'm definitely interested to see this develop further yeah yeah me too and you know have being somebody who has read you know extensively in the expanded universe um i'll, I'll freely admit uh, the expanded universe was far from perfect but there were some really good ideas and concepts and characters in there and i i think even uh in the name of originality uh, disney would be <sighs> kind of disservicing sort of the, the the Star Wars franchise by not taking some of the best stuff that the expanded universe had to offer and integrating some of those things. Uh, I mean, they certainly did it already with uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, which is, you know, peak expanded universe character right there. So, you know, here's hoping. But my, uh, my gut tells me this is probably going to be completely 100% original. All right, next up on the docket... Oh man, I'm so psyched about this one. Uh, no release date, but an untitled Taika Waititi Star Wars project. Uh, here's a quote from Kathleen Kennedy, head of Lucasfilm. Taika's approach to Star Wars will be fresh, unexpected, and dot 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 unique. His enormous talent and sense of humor will ensure that audiences are in for an unforgettable ride. Dave, your thoughts? I'm just excited for this. Uh, Taika Waititi is just an incredibly uh, talented uh, filmmaker. I just period. Uh, he he is dot 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 unique, as Kathleen Kennedy said. And so, uh, seeing his take on Star Wars, I think could be incredibly uh, fun to watch. Now, uh, I'm assuming this is probably going to be a a movie released to the theaters. Um, I I didn't see anything in the documentation that this was planned to be like a Disney Plus series or something. So, uh, big screen adventure. Uh, directed by the guy who directed Thor Ragnarok for crying out loud win in my book the guy clearly has some fun you know with getting on different planets and space and all that stuff I think he's the right guy to do something fresh with Star Wars I'm excited for this one yeah and if memory serves I think it was the seventh episode of the first season that he directed of the Mandalorian and it was just pitch perfect he served as the um the bounty hunter droid, I forget its name, but but he was perfect. He could do it all. Um, you know, Thor Ragnarok is probably my favorite, if not second favorite, uh, entry into the MCU. It's just so fresh, and it takes a new take. And, and even though this may be an unpopular take, I love Thor The Dark World, even with all its warts. I, I love that movie. It was a much-needed breath of new life into the Thor franchise and, and really revitalized it. Um, and, and, um, he's also, uh, in a show that I am visiting for the first time and will probably be a nerd commendation quite soon. What we do in the shadows, 
Um, he's just a complete visionary. Him alongside uh, Jermaine Clement. Um, it, it is just, it's so hilarious and just so off the wall and just absolutely bonkers that it, it desperately, you know, it, I, I'm desperately just cannot wait for this um, because it's just going to be weird and odd and quirky and hilarious. I mean, Korg, Korg is directing a Star Wars movie. What more do you need? Yeah, I think that sums it up perfectly. I'm just, I'm very excited for this. I wish there was more to report at this time about it. Yeah. I just, I'm really interested to see what he's going to do with it. But yeah, let's just go for it. I'm, I'm on board for this one. Also reminds me, I still have to watch Jojo Rabbit because I've heard wonderful things about that as well. All right, next up, uh, a series that I've been waiting for since it was first announced years ago, Obi-Wan Kenobi. No release date yet, but it is an event miniseries set 10 years after The Revenge of the Sith. And the big news coming out of this is that Hayden Christensen will be returning as Darth Vader. Dave, your thoughts? It's all good in the neighborhood. I would first of all say that uh, Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi was probably the best thing about the prequels. Um, the guy was just really, really good, especially in, uh, in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. I think he was a little underserved, um, in Phantom Menace just because they, you know, had the Qui-Gon Jinn character there, which I think kind of superfluous if we would have had just a little bit of an older Obi-Wan there instead, but you know, I'll take it. Uh, the guy is just good as Obi-Wan. Hayden Christensen being back is also really neat, um, Obviously, I've said this before on the pod, I don't think I've ever really truly blamed him for the portrayal of of Anakin. I think a lot of that just came down to the writing. Um, George Lucas, is uh, his dialogue is problematic, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, Very difficult to deliver in in a believable way. I mean, you know, the, he's he's directed Oscar winners and 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 managed to make them look pretty bad with some of the dialogue that he's written. So uh, poor Hayden Christensen, I don't think ever stood a chance there. So seeing him back as Vader, I think, uh, is a lot of fun. Uh, I I think this uh, is a very high interest project for me, just because I have a real love for the Obi Wan character, even going back to A New Hope. Um, I know it's you know event mini series, so it's this is not going to have like a second season or something. And I think it's very short. I, I heard like six episodes or something the last time I looked it up. So this is not going to be you know some sprawling continuous epic like something you know in in the vein of the Mandalorian. But for what it is, sort of a check in on Obi Wan Kenobi in that in between time between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Yeah, I'm very, very interested in seeing what they come up with for that. So yeah, I'm 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 cautiously optimistic about this one. Yeah, I, I'm really intrigued as well, simply because how is this Hayden Christensen thing going to work? Is he going to be full on Vader, and are they going to require James Earl Jones to be the voice of Darth Vader? Is this going to be flashback sequences and you know feature some of the bits that we saw in Clone Wars stuff like that? Um, but I'm very very hopeful. Obi Wan is probably my second favorite Star Wars character behind Ahsoka Tano, um, and and I'm just really excited to see more of his story. Um, I'm also excited to see that Deborah Chow is is the one the 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 director of all of this. She directed the third, I think it was the third episode of season one of The Mandalorian. Just a magnificent episode. So, um, you know, for me, I always want to see who's behind the camera. Um, as as it's it's as important, if not more important than than uh, the actors themselves. So, seeing a name like that attached, I'm very very excited about it. Also. 
I'm very interested to see the aging process on, on Tatooine and how Obi-Wan went from being a middle-aged man to a very, very old man with Sir Alec Guinness. Um, and, and after recently watching and loving Birds of Prey, I will, I will watch anything that Ewan McGregor is attached to because he is, as Roman Sionis Black Mask was just a revelation. I did not see that one coming, man. Yeah, you know, you, you said something interesting there. You know, one of the criticisms we had when we quote-unquote fixed the prequels is that a lot was made about the relationship between Obi-Wan and uh, Anakin Skywalker. And they always kind of told us, oh, you know, we're, they're really good friends. Oh, you were my brother, blah, blah, blah. But we never actually saw that, you know, in actions. You had to really go to the Clone Wars cartoon to, to get a, a sense uh, of that friendship, of that camaraderie. And so... Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to say it. I hope that one of the reasons they brought Hayden back is to have flashback sequences. I think we desperately need to fill in some of those live action blanks and have these two characters, you know, in flashback, uh, be really uh, brothers in arms, be really close, be the closest of friends. It is the, the, the number one oversight, I think, of the prequels that we never quite by that those two people are are close and so yeah i really hope that they do those flashbacks yeah yeah for sure and and you know for all the the roses and for all the flowers that i will give to dave filoni and everyone behind clone wars and rebels as some of the best star wars content ever animation is a hard sell for a lot of people and and you know when i start you know recommending clone wars or and rebels to some Star Wars fans, you know, they start to like just chew me away. Like it's not easy to sell animation to adults. So I think this is a much, much needed inclusion here because while, you know, I got what I needed from those, those series, a lot of Star Wars fans did not. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fact. So, you know, here's hoping, I think, um, Obviously, they had, you know, Darth Vader in Rogue One, and they didn't bring, you know, Hayden Christensen back for that. So I'm assuming there's got to be at least some kind of sequence of him not in the suit for them to be so insistent that they needed him back for this particular role. For sure. All right. So I uh, hinted at it a little bit when we were talking about this series. But next up is the one that I'm most geeked out for, Ahsoka. No release date, but it is a limited series starring Rosario Dawson and written by Dave Filoni. Dave, your take. I think uh, Rosario Dawson did a fantastic job. Yeah, I'm getting caught up on The Mandalorian finally. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's been a process. Uh, did a fantastic job in this particular role. I'm very excited to see more of her. Um, the question I think that arises in my mind about this particular series is what they're trying to accomplish with it. Um, so based on, you know, spoiler alert for those of you not caught up with The Mandalorian, uh, here, obviously, uh, for those of you a little bit familiar with, you know, the Clone Wars and and then uh, the Rebel series, uh, it was quite a, a mic drop moment when it was revealed that she was looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn during her uh, appearance on The Mandalorian. If the mission statement of the show is that she's looking for uh you know, Grand Admiral Thrawn, and by extension, looking for Ezra Bridger, then then that uh, is very, very interesting to me, especially if they're willing, you know, to go there. Are we actually going to get uh, a live action Ezra Bridger? Are we going to get, lo and behold, a live action Grand Admiral Thrawn? Now, these are the kinds of things 
on top of this being just, you know, an Ahsoka series that I would be very, very interested in seeing, uh, you know, again, as a fan of the old extended universe, I love Grand Admiral Thrawn as a character and seeing him realized in live action would be uh, just a real treat. Uh, plus, I think, you know, Rebels ended in a way where there's a lot of, you know, open-ended elements to it. And if we could, you know, pick up on some of that and maybe give some closure to to that whole situation, that would be a real win as well. And I think there's a way to do that where it's still, you know, new viewer friendly, but at the same time has those those sort of Easter eggs and treats uh, that The Mandalorian, for example, provided so well. So... Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this on a number of levels. I really hope that this series is going where I think it's going because that would hype me up even more. Yeah, so this might be my hot take of the week. Um, Star Wars Rebels, outside of the original trilogy, is probably my favorite Star Wars content period. I, I love that show so much. I think the character work on that show and the voice acting on that show is just out of this world ridiculously good um i love kanan jarris i love uh captain Sindula. i love uh, like i love the entire cast of that show it was it's so good and and so if we can get some ezra bridger and grand admiral thrawn like i'm so geeked out in addition to just the pitch perfect portrayal of rosario dawson i will say it felt a little bit weird hearing rosario dawson's voice and not ashley Eckstein's voice as perfect as it was it took me a second to kind of adjust to not hearing ashley Eckstein uh talking but um this is written by dave filoni ahsoka alongside you know george lucas this is his creation so you couldn't ask for a better person you know behind this so i'm super excited the fact that it's a limited series um is is exciting i i think less is more when it comes to episodes and and it really pack a punch like the more that you draw out a season i think that's one of the strengths of the mandalorian too is that it is so quick and and the episodes are a bit short but you know you it makes every moment you just appreciate it that much more for me yeah i can totally agree with that this this is definitely going to be one to watch all right, next up, we have no release date, but this one threw me for a loop. Uh, Rangers of the New Republic. Dave Filoni and John Favreau are going to be producing the dynamic duo themselves, and it will, quote, intersect with future stories and culminate into a climactic story event. What you got on this one, Dave? Meh. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't I, I don't mean to sound negative. Obviously, the people involved, interesting, sure. Um you know when i look at this what i see basically is hey we're trying to do you know the culminating event the big avengers thing um but this particular element of it is just completely a, a blank slate i have no idea what to expect here i mean i know they're going to probably bring in boba fett and the mandalorian and ahsoka because those are all sort of taking place you know within the same timeline and then this series and then they're going to have some kind of big climactic you know crossover i guess between all those series fun i'm sure but rangers of the new republic <laughs> one of the things that i struggle with with you know the, the the disney era of star wars is that new republic means basically next to nothing that phrase means basically next to nothing to star wars fans right now we saw nothing of it except for oh oops it's you know been blown up in the force awakens you know so the new republic for extended expanded universe fans well that that is you know a, a significant term it, it extremely important 
And so, yeah, I don't know. Rangers of the New Republic means absolutely nothing to me at this point. And until they they tell me what this is and you know what it what it's that title is even supposed to evoke, I have nothing. I'm just like, meh. Eh, we'll see what it is first. Yeah, I'm totally of the same mindset. We don't even know like any characters that are attached to this specifically. The only people that I can think of are those two pilots that uh, showed up in the second episode of the Mandalorian of season two. Um, and if that's their big pitch, I, I, you know, that's going to be quite underwhelming. I, I doubt that that is it. But when I think of new Republic, those are the only people that come to mind. So I don't know where they're going with this. Um, uh, it's, it's the one that, that, uh, that I overwhelmingly was, was kind of underwhelmed with. Yeah, yeah, me too. Like, I, I got nothing, man. I just, we'll see what it is first. Right now, uh, interest level very low. All right, next up, uh, I'm, I'm flipping the switch because this is one I'm very, very excited about, even though we have minimal details. Lando, no release date, no word if Donald Glover or Billy D. Williams is confirmed, but Justin Simeon of Dear White People is developing the story. All right, so Lando. Let's uh, Let's talk Lando for a second. First of all, Donald Glover's performance as Lando in Solo, a Star Wars story was fantastic. Um, and so I don't think there is a Lando series without Donald Glover. But I'll go a step further and say that I don't think there's a Lando series without Billy Dee Williams as well. I think the ideal circumstance here is some kind of dual storytelling. Either you have, you know, Lando in the future, uh, at Billy Dee Williams telling some kind of story about his youth or maybe even being on an adventure that kind of ties back to something that happened in his youth and then have, you know, flashback sequences with uh, Donald Glover as Lando. I think that would be sort of the perfect bridge between, you know, old Star Wars and new Star Wars and would be really, really fun to watch. So my hope is that we don't just get Donald Glover. My hope is that we get both Donald Glover and Billy Dee Williams for this show. That, That would be fantastic. I I can't add or take away anything from that because it's perfect. That, that's exactly what I want. I want both of them. Do you want Donald Glover or Billy Dewey? How about both? I want both. Both is good. What's that gif of uh, from, um, oh God, what's that movie? Road to El Dorado. Both? Both Correct. is good. Yeah. yeah both is good. So, I mean, God, they're both so just awesome. Like they're these like sex symbol icons of, of like, they're just awesome machismo dudes. And like, like they are absolute screen magnets. Like they chew up every scene that they're in. And I can't think of a better person to have been cast in solo. Y'all need to look at that movie again. I'm telling you, it's a good movie, especially the third act. I love solo. It, it gets crapped on a lot because of so many different things, but I really, really enjoy it. And and Donald Glover is one of the chief reasons why. Um Justin Simeon being attached is really, really fascinating to me. I know it's not a nerdy thing, but I highly recommend Dear White People on... I haven't seen the original documentary, but but the Netflix series is just delightful. It's really, really funny, and it's really, really insightful. But uh, So definitely check that one out. But So so the fact that he's attached is, is really interesting, and I'm just excited to see the development of this show. Yeah, uh, I, I am as well. I think this has potential to be you know, really something special. And I really hope, you know, they lean into it. All right, next up is a character that I immediately clung to 
and then was killed off. Spoiler alert, but Rogue One came out forever ago, so you should have seen it. Andor, no release date. Cassian Andor, Diego Luna returns uh, as Cassian Andor from Rogue One. It returns in this prequel spy thriller. Dave, your take. So first of all, very good move making a spy thriller set in the Star Wars universe. Again, uh, very much like DC or Marvel. Uh, One of the things that I think people making Star Wars content have to figure out is how to get into these these subgenres. Not everything has to feel like, you know, a bunch of Jedi throwing, you know, force lighting and lightsabers at each other. I think there's really something to be said for hitting, you know, uh, you know, a comedy set in Star Wars, a, a spy thriller set in the Star Wars universe. Um, th- there is a lot to be said for diversifying and a spy thriller set in the Star Wars universe sounds incredibly interesting to me. I definitely want to experience this. I'll also go on the record as saying that I absolutely adored Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Uh, And one of the big regrets at the end, although I understand why they did it from a storytelling perspective that I had once I watched that movie was simply that, well, spoiler alert, everybody died. Like everybody. And there were so many interesting characters in that movie that I wished I could have seen more of. So I'm glad we're getting this prequel. Uh, I really am. Uh, Cassian Andor was a fascinating character in this story. I wish there was, you know, I almost wish we could get more of a sequel to Rogue One than than a prequel, so we could see some of these other characters as well. But at this point, I'll just I'll just take what I can because I really really enjoyed Rogue One. Well, here's here's another bit that I that I forgot to introduce. This is probably the most important part. Alan Tudyk is returning as K2SO, and and nerds around the world love and appreciate Alan Tudyk. I, I mean, from uh, I, I absolutely love everything he's in. There's a show on Sci-Fi coming up where he's like an alien and he's like trying to disguise himself that I can't wait to watch. I forget the name of it, but but Resident I, Alien, Resident also alien. based on a, yes, also based on a comic book. Yeah, yeah it's also I comic book based. Cannot wait for that show. I love everything that he's in. The comic book is quite good as well. I'll have to definitely check that one out. But but even even from my first introduction to him in watching. Um, you know, dodgeball uh, and and pirate Steve. I I just love his work. <laughs> Steve the pirate. <laughs> God, I love him. Um, also, oh, uh, Death at a Funeral, the original UK version. He's just magical and just sitting on the roof, absolutely naked. Uh, Alan Tudyk is just the best. Um, so yeah, I'm very very excited for this. And 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 you nailed it. You know, I I also will follow Diego Luna to the ends of the earth. I mean, he's just freaking fantastic and everything the book of life i i showed in my class for the day of the dead um and he's magnificent there um he's incredible in narcos mexico i need to go back and finish that series but he's just incredible in that and so i'm just super excited to see him return and and to get more stories from this because it also the you know rogue one you know his character and the things that he's willing to do in order to 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 make the rebellion you know come to fruition is just fascinating you know he's often people left and right and he's getting ready to snipe Jin Urso's father Galen Urso in in the name of the rebellion so being able to see like the backstory to all of that and how he got there is just really really cool yeah I totally agree this is one to look forward to All right, next up, this one threw me for a loop. We have The Acolyte. Leslie Headland, creator of Russian Doll, is developing the series. It's a mystery thriller set in the High Republic era. Meh. 
Well, well, you know, I don't mean to sound negative, and, and I'm sure it, it'll it'll turn out well once we know more. I think my problem just is that it's you know it takes place in this high republic era like what 50 years before the prequels or something this is like disney's big multimedia push right now there's going to be movies and well you know tv shows comic books novels they're trying to do like this whole like young yoda thing at some point i think i saw some concept art of like yoda as a younger younger jedi you know until i see more of what they're actually doing with this era it feels like you know it might suffer a little bit from from prequelitis um how how much more do i see need to see of this incredibly flawed you know corrupted um jedi order i mean the jedi do not come across very well uh in the prequels and i do not i'm not sure how much more i need to see of the jedi order and their complete mishandling of well pretty much you know everything the the child snatchers that uh, make the the kids completely cut off um you know contact with their parents and uh can't uh, admit when their, their ability to use the force is diminished because they don't want to look bad in front of the politicians. And uh, I don't know, man, like I love me some Jedi, but the way they were shown in the prequels does not give me a lot of hope that just because it's, you know, 50 years earlier or something that the Jedi order is going to be really any better. Yeah. So, so one of my favorite quotes that I've heard in the last couple of years is when I was watching the Luke Cage Marvel series and, and pops always said, always forward never backward and it become has become like this like mantra for me and so like i I, you know i've talked time and again about nostalgia and just going backwards and thinking back and that's one of the few criticisms i have of the second season of the mandalorian while i enjoy it i i'm a little bit frustrated we always have to circle back to the same things in star wars and and just going backward and and not ever pushing forward and and so that's why I was excited about a new story in the Mandalorian, but it also you know it also ended up being more of the same, which is a little bit frustrating. And you know, pushing back as much as I love Boba Fett, you know, season three of the Mandalorian and this new story arc is being delayed because of the book of Boba Fett. It's it's a little bit frustrating. And so here we have more of the same, like catering to the old fans who were unhappy with the sequel trilogy. Um, you know, and 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 I'm not by any means defending the sequel trilogy um, because I have my issues with it, but it's just frustrating that it seems like we're, we're in reverse here. Yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, now we're getting prequels to the prequels. Uh, and again, you know, uh, Leslie Headland is, uh, you know, very talented and this could end up being a, you know, a, a fantastic series. Um, I'm just wondering what it actually gains from being set in the high Republic era uh, in particular. Um, a lot of questions about this one and not a lot of answers. So uh, I think I'm just going to take a wait and see approach. Yeah, that's, I think that's fair. And that's, you know, with a lot of these uh, stories as well is we don't have a lot of details. So there's not a whole lot uh, that we can have to inform our takes. All right. Next up is something that was hinted at quite a while ago. Um, I think we even covered it on a nerd news story memory serves uh, no release date but the bad batch is coming i have to be careful how i pronounce that elite clones that were introduced in the final season of the clone wars uh become mercenaries in the aftermath of the clone wars and it is a sequel to the clone wars cartoon dave your thoughts you know what i don't think i'm qualified to comment because i've not actually seen the last season of the clone wars yeah, I've not gotten around to that yet. So uh, shame on me. Please do not revoke my nerd cred card. But um, 
I, I just, I, I'm not familiar with the Bad Batch. Um, I'm not uh, clear on, you know, if if these characters are interesting enough to maintain a series uh, on their own. Um, I'm just, I, I don't think I'm the guy to ask here. Uh, have you seen the, the final season of The Clone Wars? Oh, yes, I have. And and it is some great Ahsoka Tano content. Um, the Bad Batch was the first arc that was set up. And it was a bit underwhelming and a little bit boring, if I'm being honest. So the trailer for this was pretty cool. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I, I don't know, interested to see how it looks like this is when the empire takes over and now like they're no longer going to be stormtroopers, but they're going to be mercenaries. So that's uh, a bit of a unique storyline. So that's, that's interesting. But um, I was, I was in it. I may revisit the final season, but I was just ready to get to order 66 and um, you know, more Ahsoka content. So those first couple episodes with the bad batch were pretty hit or miss for me. Yeah. So uh <laughs> Uh, once I'm caught up, I might have more of an opinion about all this. But as of right now, I, I just don't. I'm very unsure if this would be my kind of uh, show or not. I, it's just I don't think I'm ready to comment on this one. Well, here's an interesting one. Star Wars Vision is an anime creator's take on Star Wars, and it's a series of 10 shorts. Dave, are you an anime guy? I actually am an anime guy. Uh, I remember very fondly, for example... Um, back in the heyday of the matrix when they did that collection of stories called the animatrix i thought there was some very interesting uh, takes in there on the concept of the matrix uh, explored through anime so yeah i'm actually very excited about this uh, you know anything that brings unique art styles or different creators visions to the star wars universe is a good thing uh, i think to you know avoid that whole the, 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 well, the problem that the MCU sometimes has is that samey feeling, like everything is pretty much the same. You know, diversify that sucker a little bit. So yeah, I'm very, very excited to see some anime creators take on Star Wars and what they do with it. I'm actually very interested to see if Disney is willing to say that these stories are, you know, in their official canon, that these are part of their overarching story, or if this is just some kind of like world situation of what if kind of thing uh, looking forward to seeing what they're doing with this so so anime by and large has been one of the uh offshoots of nerddom that has escaped me um i played some of the pokemon games growing up but as far as watching the shows it, it just wasn't my cup of tea you know increasingly in the last year or so my kids especially have really pushed me to start watching more um i i did enjoy the episodes that i saw of the dragon prince on netflix that was a good one um i've also heard good things about the blood of zeus um and i also saw that they added the x-men uh anime onto netflix so that might be my gateway um so so i'm definitely uh if for no other reason that it's something different and it's something like a fresh take so that's you know something i'll probably check out for that reason is it's something new all right, next up, our last Star Wars reveal um, is a one. Oh, man. Okay, uh, a droid story. It's an animated series. A new hero is guided by R2-D2 and C-3PO. Dave, what do you think about a droid story? Haven't we been here before? Like, wasn't there an animated uh, series called Droids years ago? Like, I could swear we've been here before. 
this is like this is the weirdest feeling. Are they going to announce like an, an Ewoks movie next? Because I feel we had a couple of those already too. Like I'm fairly certain there was a a droids cartoon already. Um, so I'm not sure about that particular read thread. I'm also uh, a little unsure of you know sort of the oversaturation of R2D2 and C3PO. They've kind of become so ubiquitous. Like they have to be, they have to pop up in everything at some point. And I don't think they're as synonymous with Star Wars as even Lucas himself, I, th- I think, seems to think. Uh, I would have been perfectly fine, for example, if neither of them would have appeared in the prequels. In fact, I think it probably would have been a better uh, idea to not have them appear. So, you know, if it's if it's aimed squarely at kids, go for it. I'm sure it's going to be fine. But I have very, very little interest in more R2-D2 and C-3PO at this point. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm the exact same mindset. I found it to be quite tiresome i think their inclusion in the prequels only created problems uh thematically and story-wise like if anakin skywalker created c-3po why in the hell does he not recognize him as darth vader um and 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 r2d2 is his best friend r2d2 is his best friend and his droid companion like how does he not recognize him and also, is doesn't that make the whole thank the maker thing a little weird? Like, I just want to point <laughs> that out. C three C three PO says thank the maker an awful lot. The maker is Darth Vader. I, I I don't know how to feel about that whole situation, but sure, that's just super problematic. And also, I think C three PO is the most annoying character in all of Star Wars. I'm I'm all about Han Solo and, and and shutting him down for a while because he never shuts up. So I'm not I'm not a fan of the character. There are droids in the Star Wars universe that I am a fan of. Um, Chopper from Rebels is probably my favorite, but um, eh, I, I could do without. K2SO is great, but but I, I'm I'm quite fatigued by the inclusion of these two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, let's see what they do with it. I mean, maybe they'll convince me once some footage uh, pops up. But in the meantime, eh, pass. All right, so we have two announcements that are not Star Wars related, but are being developed by Lucasfilm, so they are noteworthy for us. Um, The fifth Indiana Jones film. Yeah, there's another one. It's coming July 2022 and is directed by James Mangold. Yeah, Jesus Herbert Christ. Like, at this point, Harrison Ford is 78 years old, and they want to make another Indiana Jones movie starring Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. You know, I understand sticking with nostalgia and in loving the character and everything. But, you know, if you really want to continue making Indiana Jones movies, you're going to have to eventually deal with the fact that Harrison Ford is too old for this. Not 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 to jump on Danny Glover's bandwagon, but he is, <laughs> he is getting too old for this crap. Um, and so at some point, you're going to have to decide if there are stories we want to tell with this character... Are we willing to recast? And if you're willing to recast, go for it. And if you're not willing to recast, then shut up about it. Um, you know, to, to circle back around to Star Wars for a second, I was thrilled, thrilled to see Luke Skywalker at his height in The Mandalorian. It was, it was amazing. It was a, a brief taste of something I've been wanting for a long time. But at the same token, let's be honest, when he lowered his hood, there were a whole bunch of nerds that were like, yeah, that didn't work out as well as they thought. 
because the CGI technology is not not quite there yet, where they can create you know a, a photorealistic visual of a person. It's just it's it's a bit off still, and and I'm not sure if they'll ever get that a hundred percent right. Now, if he would have lowered his hood and it would have been a really smart recast, then you just created a situation where not only do we get this brief glimpse of Luke Skywalker, no, we can have like a whole Luke Skywalker series. We can actually follow him around once, you know, as a younger man after Return of the Jedi at the height of his powers. I'm all for that. You know, it worked really well with the with the Star Trek uh, movies that they made, J.J. Uh, Abrams made. Uh, the casting there overall was really smart, and and I believe those actors playing those roles. So am I interested in more Indiana Jones? Sure I am. And if you cast the right person to do it, I think there is a future for the franchise beyond 78-year-old Harrison Ford. Um, just like I think there might be a way for us to get more Luke Skywalker stories that don't necessarily involve Mark Hamill. Um, is that the ideal circumstance? Certainly not. But at some point, we're going to have to just deal with the fact that time is real, people age, and sometimes they age out of the roles that they made famous. I, I, I just don't know if... It, I don't know how I feel about watching an almost 80-year-old man trying to crack a whip and, and be like this archaeologist that is like you know, 90% action hero, if we're completely honest. Um, I have some reservations here. Can I just point out, um, Dave, that you should look into um, fortune telling or prophecy because you literally said, I want to see on screen Luke Skywalker in his prime. And literally days later, even before that episode aired, we recorded it ahead of time. That's exactly what happened. So you spoke that into existence, man. Um, but but I am all for the internet um, like petition that is for casting Sebastian Stan as Luke Skywalker because the likeness, if you put him up in a, a Mark, a young Mark Hamill, it's not perfect. Nothing is going to be perfect because his name is not Mark Hamill and he's not you know thirty years younger. But but I mean, it's about as good as you're going to get. And it is certainly less distracting than the CGI. And and I think the CGI for Luke was a, a skosh better than Carrie Fisher's was um, in Rogue One. But it's still it takes away from the scene, I think. Um, and, and I think it would just been fine if, if they would have done it like it, it's OK. It's it's one scene in a show. I mean, that's what a majority of, of nerds are talking about is it's a little whatever. And, and also you will not find a bigger fan of Harrison Ford than me. And I love him dearly, but for God's sake, he's old now. And, and we can't keep doing this. I mean, he was old in 2008 or whenever that, the fourth one came out and it was bad. I mean, for God's sake, he tried to escape a nuclear bomb by hiding in a refrigerator. What the hell is that? And, and we're, and, and, and the crystal skull of aliens in a pyramid in the jungle. And we're going for more of that. Like what? Come on now. And then it's just a mess. And I love the original, you know, three indie films. Like they're, they're so great. They're so fun. They're, they're just so enjoyable. But 
you got to move on at some point. We have to go forward. And those three films still exist. You can go watch them. I think they're streaming on Netflix still. If not, go purchase them and you can watch them to your heart's content. But we've got to move forward at some point. And I will say, you know, um, uh, as somebody with with German ancestry, I'm not, you know, ever fond of the consistent, uh, you know, fact that Nazis are always the bad guys and everything. But they are, when it comes to Indiana Jones, by far the most recognizable villain and the one that you always want to see him go up against. Uh, that 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 is why they went back to that well again with Last Crusade, I think. Um, but he is now so old that you know who 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 are the bad guys going to be at this point? You know, like they were already in the last movie in the fifties and they were trying to do the whole thing with, with, you know, the Russians, the Soviet union that I don't think worked all that well. It's, it, it felt tonally, you know, not quite right. I mean, what, what are they going to do now? Is it going to be, he's going to be fighting an army of counterculture hippies or something like <laughs> they have to somehow in the story admit to themselves too, that Indiana Jones is old. So, so, you know, where are they going to get their bad guys from here? You know, I don't know. It, you know, and, and to circle back to the, the the recasting notion and the Luke Skywalker thing, look, we're we're a Luke and a Leia short of having a a new cast of the big three of the original Star Wars: Han, Luke, and Leia. If we can figure out how to recast those other two roles smartly, Luke and Leia, we could conceivably have some more Star Wars movies that take place in sort of like that that dead zone between a new hope and empire strikes back where, you know, right now the Marvel comics uh, were hanging out for a little while. I would kind of be interested in seeing that, you know, bring in Alden Ehrenreich again as, as Han Solo and, and, you know, give us a movie of, of the original star Wars era. I wonder if they would be able to capture the spirit and the tone of that, the way JJ, uh, JJ Abrams attempted to capture the star Trek feel and spirit. Like, you know, I, I would, I would, yeah, I would be interested in that. I don't think that's necessarily, you know, a sacred cow or something. Um, yeah, I, I think we're just going to have to deal with the fact that these actors have aged. You know, some pass away, but maybe there's still life in those characters in some way. I, I would be interested in a recast. I'm, I'm, I'm there for it. I, I, I am as well. And just think about, I mean, you've got Donald Glover, Alden Ehrenreich was delightful. Um, he. I, I think Sebastian Stan, I, I'll say it again, like he's he's awesome as Bucky. He's awesome as the Winter Soldier. And I would love to see that going forward. And then you if we could find uh, another Leia, I think it would be great. And, and you know, what, what better way to carry on the legacy of that and bridge all of that together and create like a coherent. I think for me, you know, I, I talk about, you know, against nostalgia and everything. But for me, I think it's a necessary thing in this regard is because it would bridge together the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy. How did we get here? And, and not only, you know, tickling the fancy of fans of the expanded universe, it would tie in so much and, and and how the first order came to be and, and why, you know, Luke's situation in the last Jedi is what it is and why, how he got there, you know, seeing those things, I think it would be so meaningful. And, and I think it would tie so much together. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I, I think a lot of Star Wars fans would argue vehemently against recasting, but I don't know, man. I just I just want some more stories, and if they can do it well, why in the world wouldn't we go for that? Right, I totally agree. Um, one final announcement. Um, so I haven't seen the original from '88, 
Um, but Willow, uh, the sequel, is coming in 2022, and nerd icon Warwick Davis is returning. Yeah, so I'm I have seen the original several times. Uh, to me, the movie uh, Willow is incredibly iconic. One of my favorite fantasy movies of my youth. I adore that movie. And the idea of getting a sequel to it, even this late in the game, all these years later, I am absolutely sold on this. I know we talk about moving forward and nostalgia bad and all that. But yeah, you know what? Willow holds a very special place in my heart. And seeing that character and that world again, um, absolutely there for it. But it does beg an interesting question. Where the crap is Val Kilmer in all this? Because, <laughs> because Val Kilmer uh, played like a, a breakout sort of starring role in this movie. He's sort of the co- Warwick Davis's co-star, Matt Madigan. And he is so good in that role. He was so watchable and, and magnetic in that role. And, and I would love to see that character again, too. But we have heard not a peep about them even like approaching Val Kilmer to bring him back for this or anything. And I think that would be a huge missed opportunity. I think Val is still working. I know he's older. I know he's gained some weight. But you know what? One of the things about Willow's world is that that particular character was always a little bit of a weirdo. And there is no reason that Matt Madigan himself would not, you know, get older and gain a little bit of weight and get a little comfortable in his old age. So I I would totally love to see Val Kilmer come back for this as well. And I really hope it's just something that they're going to surprise us with and they've just not made an announcement. Um, but if they if they don't include him, I think I'll be sorely disappointed. You know, it's really inexcusable that I haven't seen this movie. I'm a huge fantasy fan and, and I'm excited that this is happening because I think after Peter Jackson finally, 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 finally said goodbye to Middle Earth, we've had a serious void when it comes to like fantasy films and fantasy stories. We're, we're still waiting on the Lord of the Rings series on Amazon uh, to happen. So I, I, I I really just need to go watch this because Warwick Davis, I mean, when you talk about Professor Flitwick, when you talk about, uh, you know, the Ewoks, when you talk about the the roles that Warwick Davis has played in nerddom, I think he was even in the solo film, if if, if I remember correctly. Um, and, and so, like, I, I just love all the characters that he's portrayed. Um, Val Kilmer. I, I just love the guy. I, I ride for Val Kilmer and this may ruffle some feathers, but I love Batman forever. I know maybe it's because it's like probably the first Batman movie I watched growing up. So maybe that's plays a part in it and it does have its issues with the campiness and the cartoonness, but I don't think he's a bad Bruce Wayne. I think, I think he's really good as Batman and I really enjoyed his portrayal, even revisiting it, you know, years later. So I, I would love to see that. I would love to see Val Kilmer back. And I, I love, love the dude. It's, it's funny you say that you kind of ride for Batman forever because I kind of do too. I think the, I think the worst part of that movie is focused, you know, solely on the villains. I think, uh, I think Jim Carrey was way too over the top as the Riddler. Um, and I think even, you know, the, the choices that they made with Two-Face, where he comes across less as, you know, Two-Face and more as like a, a bargain bin dollar store brand Joker. Um, I, I think those were the missteps of the movie for the most part. But I think Val Kilmer was was very good as as Bruce Wayne Batman. 
Uh, plus, it also features probably the thirstiest Batman character I've ever seen in Nicole Kidman's Dr. Chase Meridian. I don't think I have ever seen anybody come on to Batman the way she did in that rooftop scene. Uh, that was... Well, I have to say that uh, that was intense. Um, she was bringing the heat, man. I, I bet Tom Cruise was jealous. Yeah, that, that was definitely that was definitely some heat there. So, uh, yeah, but Val Kilmer in in Willow. If you've not seen the movie, you've got to see it. It's a, a ton of fun. You know, Warwick Davis in the original Willow plays sort of the the Luke Skywalker role. You know, the 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 righteous and true character who just wants to do good and and Val Kilmer is basically the Han Solo role he's he's the scoundrel of the movie and and it's absolutely delightful to watch so again I, I, I cannot picture a sequel to Willow without Val Kilmer I definitely hope he's there all right that wraps up our byword big talk for the week that's all of Disney investors day if you missed our MCU takes be sure to check out our previous episode. This has been Lucasfilm. When we come back from our final break, we're going to hit you with two more patented nerd commendations. All right, welcome back for our final segment, Nerd Commendations. Dave, you got another Chuck Dixon recommendation for us. Dude, I like Chuck Dixon. I'm just going to say it. Uh, His work... Uh, on the Batman franchise was really good. Uh, and I'm, I miss some of that stuff. So this is one of uh, the trade paperbacks that sits actually on my shelf and that I frequently revisit, and that is Nightwing Year One. Uh, so Dick Grayson is simply one of my favorite characters. I'm not going to lie. I'm a sidekick kind of guy. Oftentimes, uh, when I uh, watch movies uh, or read comics, I gravitate towards the sidekick more than the hero. Uh, I always loved Robin almost more than Batman, I will freely admit. Um, I will also freely admit that I maybe I kind of see myself more in the sidekick. Maybe that's the, the, the humble person in me speaking, that I don't identify so much with the hero and more with the sidekick. But if you're looking at like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, my favorite character on there for many years was Xander Harris, the smart alecky sidekick who didn't have any special powers. I, I, I kind of gravitate towards those characters. And Dick Grayson is, you know, basically the original sidekick. Um, and just a great character. His evolution from Robin into Nightwing is really one of the best stories of a sidekick coming into his own or, you know, growing up really in all of comics. The guy is beloved for a reason. So Chuck Dixon, who wrote Nightwing Year One, also wrote uh, his ongoing title at the time. He uh, wrote the ongoing Robin title featuring Tim Drake. He wrote several Batman titles. He was basically one of the architects of Batman comics for a hot second. Uh, He was also involved in the creation of Birds of Prey. Uh, So Chuck Dixon has a really deep history with the Batman family. And here he weaves a tale of of trying to remake yourself, of of finding yourself by turning to your roots and then using your upbringing uh, to kind of reforge yourself into something new, finding a direction forward through your heritage and your past. So after a falling out with Batman, Robin is out on his own. He checks in with Superman and then returns to his origin point, Haley Circus circumstances of course conspire to bring him back into the superhero game and these experiences help him reshape himself from robin into nightwing his own hero 
Scott McDaniel is on art here, and he brings a fantastic sort of kinetic energy to Dick Grayson. It works really well since, well, Dick Grayson is a circus performer. He is an acrobat, uh, and sort of that that movement is is all present in the comic book. It's a very uh, movement-focused uh, art. It, it feels like there's a lot of forward momentum in the art, and I really adore it for that. So in short, no matter how old this tale gets or whether it agrees with current continuity, I really don't care. It totally holds up to this day as sort of the definite transition story of Robin to Nightwing. And unlike a, a certain television show, they didn't even have to drop an F-bomb to make it work. <laughs> well, well, see, and I completely echo your sentiments about the sidekicks and particularly the Robins slash Nightwing. So like they, they're always the characters that I've been much, much more interested in. Um, even even back to like the Batman films, Chris O'Donnell was super compelling to me. Um, and, and just I don't know, maybe it was even something about the the uniform of, of Robin seems so cool. And just like maybe it was because I was younger, I could identify with it. But but I've always been fascinated with those characters. And, and, you know, when I started playing the Arkham games and and Dick shows up as Nightwing and that's the first time I'd seen Nightwing, like, who is that? And no, he said Dick. That means Dick Grayson. So it's just really, really cool to have followed this character, even even as like, you know, kind of uh, a casual consumer as I am. But, um, you know, and then and, and Damian Wayne is one of my favorite DC characters. Tim Drake is fantastic. Um, and I it's it's the one reason that I tried to watch titans but there's just so many things going on with that show i i really want to give it another try because i've heard it gets better as as the show goes on but uh, it's just a little bit too much for me but uh, i i'm definitely fascinated with this character it's also one of my son's favorites so he's going to be very very proud of me uh if i were to to start reading some Nightwing. And I will say, you know, his, his solo series, also written by Chuck Dixon, was really good stuff at the time, too. Um, but, you know, this storyline, I think it took uh, place fairly late in his solo series to kind of did like this extended year one flashback. But it's a great starting point if you're interested in reading more about Nightwing. Really, really awesome stuff. Now, Chris, you're taking me back to the X-Men. What do you got for me this week? Well, well, I'm giving you a break from Thor because because next week I'm going back to Thor. So, um, <laughs> but uh, I will say this will make you happy. It's a Tom Taylor book. Um, I can live with that. X Men Red, X Men Red from 2018. Uh, words by Tom Taylor, art by the incredible Mahmoud Asrar. Uh, also, some some art by John Bazaldua and Carmen Carnero and Paolo Villanelli. Tom Taylor, I am telling you, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite creators after reading both this series, X-Men Red, and Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, which I recommended months ago. I I, I know that he does extensive work with DC, so I'm telling you, that might be an effective on-ramp for me to start reading some more DC titles. I, I Speaking of Nightwing, I heard that he is going to be the new writer on Nightwing, so I'm super excited for that. So am I, so am I. What I particularly love about Tom and his writing is that he understands who his characters are at their very core. Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, despite being this minor B, even C-list title, if you want to say, with no real ramifications for continuity, I'm telling you, that was the best Peter Parkin's been written in years. All respect to Dan Slott and Nick Spencer, that's the best Peter Parker I've read in a long time. 
Um, this title absolutely nails um, some more characters that are near and dear to my heart, like Nightcrawler, Kurt Wagner, Gambit, Remy LeBeau, Storm, and Jean Grey. Uh, this title also served as an introduction and a deeper understanding for characters who became instant favorites for me. And uh, that includes Wolverine, Laura Kinney, uh, Trinary, who I believe was introduced in this book for the first time. She's fascinating. And my new favorite character in the entire Marvel Universe, and Dave, you're going to freaking love her, Honey Badger, Gabby Kinney, who is also a clone of Wolverine. I know, more clones, but hear me out. Like, she has these incredible one-liners. The reason you're going to love her is because she's like a tiny little kid. Like, she's this little sprout. So, like, all those... The, that unique storytelling point that you were talking about, you wish people more developed, uh, you know, expounded on. This is great. Listen to this, some of these great one-liners. So Wolverine Laura is talking. I sense a butt coming. Gabby says, sensing approaching butts would be a super weird mutant power. <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. Um, here's another one. Trinary is talking. I, it can still track mutants, but I've removed the killing. If I wanted, I could recode it to track down mutants and cook them a light meal. Gabby says, I'd be up for a sentinel chef. She's just <laughs> delightful. Like she always, she also goes straight up to Namor, the king of Atlantis, one of those powerful people on, on planet Earth in the Marvel Universe, and says, hey, uh, Namor, I'm going to need you to put a shirt on. Ablantis can show off later. Like she's <laughs> just awesome so um gabby kenny honey badger just read anything with her in it um so the basic premise for this book x-men red i got sidetracked by how delightful gabby is um after a decade of being dead gene gray is resurrected by the phoenix force uh, and this was on like a mini series event or something that i'll go back and read but basically what you need to know from that series is gene gray has been resurrected by the phoenix force and she assembles her own team of x-men um and attempts to persuade the the United Nations to grant mutant kind their own nationhood and sovereignty. Um, she goes up against Cassandra Nova. You may have heard of her from uh, Whedon's Astonishing Run or Grant Morrison's fantastic run on New X Men. She's just a fascinating villain. Vi excuse me, a villain, and and she's really brilliantly. Uh, used by tom taylor here it's really really interesting to see that she is the twin of charles xavier looks exactly like him but where charles approaches the world with love and empathy she is the exact opposite of that so that's a really really fascinating thing to watch develop um what i came away from reading this book is that hate and prejudice are no match for the power of love and empathy and that's gene company's central ethos as she's facing off against cassandra nova here uh, I've got the panel pulled up. It's, it's just, it just brings tears to your eyes. Just, just listening to this. And this was written in 2018, you know, so you know what was happening just two years ago and things, unfortunately, that are still happening. Um, and she says, um, see people like you with so much fear and hate in their heads. You always, you're always so quick to confuse empathy with the weakness. Empathy isn't weakness. It just means we have something bigger than ourselves to fight for. And that makes us dangerous. You have made me dangerous. And Cassandra says, I'm not afraid of you. I'm not afraid of your X-Men. And Jean replies, yes, you are. Of course you are. You're afraid of what we represent. You're afraid of our compassion. And you're afraid of what it says about that you have none. You're afraid that you're wrong, that you're less, that you're lacking. And that's just like this beautiful thing that that I've always searched for, 
you know, when I started reading comic books, whether that was Spider-Man, whether that was Captain America, whether that was, you know, now Superman that I'm starting to read more of his books and, and certainly the X-Men, like just fighting hatred and bigotry and awfulness with love and compassion, killing them with kindness to the nth degree. So I, I just love this book. There are so many panels that are just uplifting that brought a tear to my eye like that one, um, as well as some iconic one-liners from Gabby, uh, who I just absolutely adore. And I am immediately, as soon as I posted this panel, like uh, on, on social media, it got like over 200 likes and 60 retweets. And then everybody was was in my mentions telling me, you have to read All New Wolverine, All New Wolverine. So I looked it up. Tom Taylor wrote All New Wolverine when Laura Kinney took over the moniker. And that's Gabby's introduction and her creation. So I'm immediately going to start reading Tom Taylor's run on All New Wolverine for more Laura and Gabby content. So X-Men Red is my nerd commendation for this week. Well, yeah, I have to say, uh, you, you've convinced me, actually. Um, I've heard good things about X-Men Red before uh, from various you know, social media posts and the like, and I'm definitely interested. Uh, you know, Jean Grey leading her own team of X-Men is already interesting. I think Jean is a, a great character. I've heard some people say that this sort of uh, feels a little bit of the same cloth of something like Claremont or, or Lee's eras on the X-Men uh, traditional superheroic stuff mixed with sort of the the X Men trying to protect people who hate them, and that and that that kind of stuff is just you know classic X Men to me. That's the kind of X Men stuff I really like. I've made no secret of the fact that I find the current X Men direction extremely dense uh, and difficult to follow for newcomers. So I think this is probably much more up my alley, uh, especially after reading you know Morrison's and and Whedon's runs. I might have to just go ahead and bounce over to X-Men Red for a good read. Yeah, and the nice thing about it is it's only 11 issues. Um, so so I read it in like a day, and it's really, really good. Now, this runs concurrently with X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue, which I have my eh feelings about. So there are some real, real good parts of X-Men Gold, but X-Men Blue... Uh, I, I'm just not enjoying as much, but X-Men Red, only 11 issues and one annual that I just got in the mail. So I'm going to read that one as well. But um, yeah, it's it's really a great series and, and it's just a really, really uh, a, a good time. Sounds like something to try. All right, that wraps up our another episode of the Nerd by Word podcast. As always, we thank you for joining us. We thank you for your support. If you're looking for more awesome content from us, make sure that you subscribe to our podcast um, wherever you get your podcast from, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the TuneIn app, Amazon, uh, you name it, or nerdbyword.com. And also feel free to check with uh, in with us on social media. You can find us on uh, Twitter, and on Instagram at Nerd by Word and individually at That Nerd Chris and at That Nerd Dave. And of course, on Facebook, uh, that would be The Nerd by Word. Speaking of Facebook, be sure to check out our pal Phil Russert's page on there called Creator Creator Con Q&A. Um, also, he has a YouTube page. So if you're not a Facebook person, we totally understand. But uh, YouTube as well, Creator Con Q&A. Uh, you know, two or three times a week, he's sitting down with an industry professional or a comic collector and some really fascinating interviews. Um, 
Karen Nicole is a really famous comedian and, and really funny person. She's a cosplayer as well. Uh, he just did a great uh, episode with her last night. So be sure to check out Phil's page. He's been very, very supportive of us. And we uh, actually appeared on there uh, a couple weeks ago. So we always appreciate him and want to give him a shout out as well. All right. Thanks for another episode. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd Byword is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez and show art by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. <laughs>